0: Father, we have nothing to say unless it comes from Your Word. We're unable to hear unless You open our ears, unable to absorb the truth unless You open our mind, unable to apply it unless You open our heart. And so we are totally dependent on You. We thank You, Father, for the opportunity to gather today, to sing praises to You, to talk about You, the Almighty God, the King of creation. And we thank You that You have brought us together. We have come together, we have, we have uh, sung songs together, we have interacted together, and now across the campuses in Robinson and Washington and Wilkinsburg and online, and here, we want to pray together as Jesus, our Lord and Savior, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm holding in my hands a folder. Remember these? I had it in my file cabinet for years, and over the years, I have put all kinds of stuff in this folder. The title of the folder is Christ. And so, there are articles from Newsweek, articles from USA Today, uh, articles from Time Magazine, articles from newspapers, and I compiled it all and put it in this folder. All those subjects about Christ, about Jesus, put in this folder. I got to tell you, I haven't put anything in this folder for, I don't remember the last time I put something in the folder. Now, it's on my computer, right? So, I have in on my computer a bunch of folders, and I can, uh, I can scan stuff, and I can drag it over, I can put in a folder, and so I can go, for instance, uh, look up the folder sermons, and get all the sermons uh, that I've done uh, over the years. I can even search different things uh, in those sermons. Well, social media has a way of filing, just like this, information that people want you to know they have said a quote, uh, uh, something they have, uh, they have written. So if you are one of the 1.2 billion people on Facebook, or the 1 billion people on Google, or the 550 million, one of them on Twitter, or 150 million on Instagram, or 90 million on LinkedIn, or 20 million on Pinterest, then there is a way for you to file your thoughts. And you do that simply with this symbol, uh, this this symbol right here, what's called in social media a hashtag, the old pound sign on the phone, or the tic-tac-toe sign before that, (laughs) but a hashtag sign. And when you put hashtag before a word, social media, one of those platforms I mentioned, automatically files that for you. So you could write something about... uh, Jesus and then put hashtag faith and social media will file that. So anyone, one of those 1.2 billion people can go on Facebook and at the top of the Facebook page type in hashtag faith and everything said about hashtag faith is right there. So if you want people to see what you're saying, you just put hashtag and then follow it. One of the things we're doing here is asking you some questions, and we ask that you uh, respond by using a hashtag sign. And one of the questions I'd like for you to deal with this week is, what one question, what's your main question about Jesus Christ? Maybe for some of you it was a question, you're not a believer, and it's a question keeping you from following Jesus. Or Maybe you remember when you weren't a believer, it was a question that kept you from following. Or you're a believer and you still say, this is my main question about Jesus. Write that question out and then do hashtag Jesus. And because there are so many people doing hashtag Jesus, we've just added TBC and we'll be able to compile all the information that you give and we can interact together. So the hashtag is simply a way to group or file material from a certain topic that you want everyone to see. That's why we've called this sermon series Hashtag Jesus, because that's essentially what the gospel writers did, right? They said, we want you to know about Jesus Christ. We're going to tell you everything we can about Jesus Christ. We're going to put it in a book. We're going to compile it together. We want you to know this person of Jesus Christ. And so our series is simply that. We want to know Jesus intimately as we look to the Gospels. We want to follow Him passionately. And we want to obey Him wholeheartedly. Today we're going to to see how Jesus launched His ministry. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, you're turning there, let me set the context of the passage. In the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, the last words he wrote, promised that a prophet was going to come, a person he called Elijah. Not the Elijah that had already come in the Old Testament, but a new Elijah. And this Elijah was going to tell people about the day of the Lord, the arrival of the Lord, the Messiah. Then, after that was written in the last book of the Old Testament by Malachi, those last words, you know what happened? Nothing. For 400 years, Jesus, our God, did not speak through a prophet again. For 400 years. Now, God was at work. He was at work in history. When Malachi wrote his book, The Persians Were the World Power, then Alexander the Great conquered the world. And Alexander said, I know how we will unify people. We will will institute the Greek language and the Greek culture. That's how we're going to bring unity to this kingdom. And so every place Alexander went in his kingdom... There was a Greek language and the Greek culture that impacted Israel. In fact, the Hebrew Bible, originally written in Hebrew, was translated during that time into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And many times, the New Testament writers, when they're quoting, are quoting from the Septuagint. In 160 BC, the general Pompey, Roman general Pompey, marched into town, and the Roman rule began. The Romans said, We're going to continue. To impose the Greek culture. It's already here. It's unifying the kingdom. Let's continue with the Greek culture. And we'll bring in our, some of our culture as well. And one thing that Rome had. They were polytheistic. Many gods. It was a god for everything. And that didn't set well with Israel, right? Because they worshipped one god. His name was Yahweh. And because they worshipped one god and his name was Yahweh. In a polytheistic culture they were persecuted they tried to revolt there were uprisings and many were killed and and persecuted in fact the one commentator william barclay says this it's a simple historical fact that in 30 years from 67 to 37 bc no fewer than 150 men perished in palestine in revolutionary uprisings He added, there are no more explosive, there was no more explosive and inflammable country in the world than Palestine. Man, some things never change, do they? In 27 B.C., a new world leader arrived. The Roman poet Virgil uh, touted that a big change was coming over the whole world. In fact, uh, he said, quote, a new human race is descending from the heights of heaven. He he said a golden age is going to come down on all humanity. He was talking about the ruler Octavius. Octavius was so full of himself that he said, I'm not Octavius anymore. I am the emperor, Caesar. And then a few years later, he said, I'm not just Caesar. I am the chief citizen of the Roman Empire, Augustus. Caesar Augustus ruled the world. And because his empire was so big, he had to put puppet kings in different areas. And so you remember the king that he put in charge of Palestine. Remember his name? Herod the Great. Now, in our day, with the freedom we have, we don't understand what it's like to live under oppression. Not really. There are many Christians, I mean, to be praying for the Christians around the world who understand what oppression is like right now with some crazy things going on over in the Middle East. The Jews... Knew that in their day. They were beaten down. They were living in spiritual and emotional and economic poverty. They were taxed into poverty. And they were praying that God would deliver them. That He would send that one He had promised in the Old Testament. That one they called the Messiah. That word means the anointed one in Greek, Christ. And they believed... That just like Moses had come and delivered them out of Egypt. So the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one would come and deliver them out of the oppression from Rome. Just like Joshua had led them into the promised land. So the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. He would establish, he had reestablished that strong independent kingdom that they had had under Solomon years before. They were crying out to God, God, send the Messiah to deliver us. Well, finally, God spoke again through a prophet. His name was John the Baptist, an interesting man in Scripture, an unusual man who had a diet of locusts and wild honey, and he wore a scratchy, camel hair robe with a belt around his waist, and his message was as austere as his appearance. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, and this is he who was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight Pass for him. John the Baptist's purpose was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And John exhorted the people to do two things. He exhorted the people to repent. That word means to change. Change your thinking, change your mind, change your attitude. It means you're going one direction, and you turn around and go the other direction. John said, get ready. God's going to be doing some great things here. A Messiah is on the way. Repent and get ready so that you are facing Him and not opposed to Him. Then John said, let's do something else. As a demonstration of your inside feelings and your desire to change, as a demonstration... I want you to be baptized in water as a public declaration that you're ready and you're getting ready personally for the Messiah. And so he was called John the Baptist. Now, it's interesting because baptism in that day, the Jews didn't do baptism. Baptism was for a Gentile who wanted to convert to Judaism, a proselyte. So if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, and you wanted to embrace Judaism then you would be baptized. It was an outward symbol of what you wanted to do inside. It was a a cleansing from the old, a washing away of the past, and an embracing of the new. Well, John said, it's not just for non-Jews. It's for everyone, all of us. In fact, the Sadducees and the Pharisees came to him. And, of course, uh, John did not mince words. He called them a brood of vipers, which didn't sit well with them. And he said... You guys think that it's just religion. You think you can adhere to some religious code and laws and that makes you religious. That makes you a child of God. But, but he says in verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9, he says, God could make these stones around you become children of Abraham. So it's not that you were just born a Jew. It's that you need to get ready for the Messiah. And so he had everyone baptized. And people were coming to John and they were getting ready for this message. He was there to prepare the way for the Lord. In fact, he said, One is coming after me. He said, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and tie his sandals. And he's not going to baptize you with water, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's going to come with power. Get ready. Well, three decades earlier, a little baby was born. Turn it on, and it always works when you turn the thing on. How about that? Little baby was born, and uh, his parents—you remember the story—Mary and Joseph. Mary was a virgin. Never had been with a man. An angel came to her, said, you're going to be with child. How can this be? Nothing is impossible with God, the angel said. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you're going to be with child. You're going to to give birth to the Son of God. He'll be fully God, fully man. Joseph was going to put her away, uh, thinking she had become pregnant by someone else. An angel came to Joseph and said, no, it's by the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph took Mary in as his wife without having relations with her. They started up here. They were from this little town of Nazareth. Nazareth is a little village in Galilee. Galilee is the northern part of Israel and just kind of the backwoods area, right? I'm tempted to say, think. No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but Oklahoma did beat them pretty well last night. So Nazareth is this background area, this backwoods area, and uh, Caesar Augustus said, I need more taxes. I need more money. I got building to do. So I want everyone to go to their hometown to, be, to register. And so uh, Mary and Joseph went to Joseph's hometown, which was a little village called Bethlehem. And there, Jesus was born. About two years later, they stayed in Bethlehem for a while. They're in a house now. And about two years later, wise men came from the east, astronomers. They had seen the star, and they had come. And they go to King Herod, right? He should know who who the great people being born in his his province is. And they go to King Herod and they say, "We, we hear a king has been born. Well, Herod said, you come back and let me know who that king is. And, of course, they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. Herod didn't want any rivals. And so he has every baby two years and younger put to death in this little place of Bethlehem. The angel warns Joseph and they go down to Egypt and they stay in Egypt... Until Herod the Great dies in 4 AD. And then they go back up to Nazareth. 30 years. Jesus spends his time in this little village of Nazareth. And now he's ready to launch his ministry. And he goes down from Nazareth to this area right in here. Where John was baptizing in the Jordan. Look at chapter 3. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And when John saw him coming, he knew who he was. He's the one who's going to be baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And John said in verse 14, he tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why do you come to me? And then verse 15, Jesus said, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Let's think about that. To fulfill all righteousness. Now, the purpose of baptism was what? Repentance, change, getting ready for the Messiah. Jesus is sinless. He is the Messiah. Why? Did Jesus believe he needed to be baptized? He didn't have to. There was, no, there was no theological or spiritual reason for him to be baptized. You ever thought about that? Why was Jesus baptized? Three reasons. Let's like think through them. First, this is the inauguration of Jesus' public ministry on earth and Jesus has publicly consecrated himself to God's plan in essence Jesus is standing before the father and before people he is acknowledging that he has arrived as the Messiah and he is launching his earthly ministry in essence Jesus says it's time for me to go to the cross I am ready to go to the cross in John chapter 1, same story is told about the baptism, and in there, in John chapter 1 verse 29, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says to the crowd, look, there is what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is, in, in the Old Testament, the, the, the Jews around him would have known in the Old Testament, you take a lamb and you sacrifice it. Here is the Lamb of God, the Lamb was a substitute for your sin. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See Jesus was a great teacher, but his primary mission on Earth was not to teach us. Jesus was a great leader, but his primary mission on Earth was not to teach us about leadership. He is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Jesus came, he said, to seek and save the lost. He came to be the sacrifice, the substitute for our sins. We couldn't get to God on our own. So God came to us fully man, fully God, and died for us on the cross. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there at the baptism, the Father and the Holy Spirit celebrated His inauguration, His consecration. Look at verses 16 and 17. Let's look at verse 16 first. As soon as He was baptized, He went out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on Him. So the Holy Spirit comes down. By the way, Mark when he writes this same story, he says, as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open. He uses an aggressive verb. The heavens torn open and the Spirit of God coming down, descending like a dove. Now, we don't know for sure if the Holy Spirit came in the bodily form of a dove or it just descended from heaven like a dove. Not for sure. Nevertheless, in art, Christian art from that time forward, the Holy Spirit, the dove, has always been a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is God and was always God. There was never a time in his life when he wasn't God. So he always had the Holy Spirit, right? But here is a public announcement so people can see the Holy Spirit coming on him. This is in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of God, of the Sovereign Lord, is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release the, uh, from darkness for prisoners. I am here to do what God has called me to And the Holy Spirit, descending on Him, demonstrated that. Then the Father spoke. Look at verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love With him, I am well pleased. In an audible voice, didn't happen much in Scripture. In fact, it only happened back in uh, Exodus when God spoke from the mountain. Here God speaks in an audible voice. And that statement that that God makes is critical. God takes two passages from the Old Testament and he puts them together. The first part is from Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 is called a coronation hymn. It, it was a hymn the Israelites saying when, when they were crowning a new king. Some call it a messianic uh, hymn or a messianic psalm. And there it says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I'll become your father. So here God is saying, you are God in the flesh. You are the word that has become flesh. You are fully God. But then Check this out. The second part comes from Isaiah 42.1. Isaiah 42.1 is that whole section of Isaiah that talks about the suffering servant. Here is my servant. Isaiah said, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he'll bring justice to the nations. So as God proclaims that, he proclaims Jesus as his son, fully God, and as the suffering servant of Isaiah. See at his baptism the Trinity God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is present. One commentator said it was like a family celebration as Jesus began his public ministry and mission to become God's servant king. An old commentator J.C. Ryle says this he said it was the whole Trinity which at the beginning of creation said let us make man And it was a whole trinity again, which at the beginning of the gospel seemed to say, let us save man. And Jesus now was on his way to the cross. The second thing, second reason, I believe, Jesus was baptized, was to identify himself with our sin and our failure. Baptism, for John's baptism, was a time of of repentance, of getting ready. And Jesus, fully God, says, I want to identify myself with man as well. And we see Jesus doing that throughout Scripture. He experienced thirst. He experienced hunger. He experienced rejection. He experienced suffering. He experienced righteous indignation. He experienced temptation. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet what? He did not sin. So because he didn't sin, let us approach God's throne with grace and confidence so that we can receive mercy and find help, uh, uh, find grace to help us in our time of need. Whatever you're going through, whatever situation you have in your life, Jesus understands. There's absolutely nothing you're going through in your life that doesn't fit in some category of what Jesus experienced on this earth. And so we can go to him, and we can know that he hears us, he identifies with us, and he takes our prayer to the Father, and he can say to the Father, I know exactly what they're going through. And that identification started as Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, in Luke's account, he says something interesting. He says, He says, many people were being baptized that day that Jesus came. But Jesus waited until everyone had been baptized. Then he went to John. And that's important. Jesus just wasn't one of the crowd. He's never one of the crowd. He is identifying with us as fully man, but at the same time, he is always fully God. And while he identified with the crowd in baptism, he was separate in his baptism. And that's such an important distinction as we study Jesus, identifying with us. He's tempted like we are, yet he never sinned. He is fully man, fully God. Never anyone like Him before or after. Here's the third thing. For consecration, as He he initiated, as He launched His ministry, to identify with us, number three, to give us an example to follow. You see, if Jesus believed baptism was important, then so should we. Now, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. John was saying, get ready, the Messiah is coming. Get ready, the Messiah is coming. Get ready, the Messiah is coming. After the Messiah came, our baptism today is one of identifying with Christ. As Jesus identified with us in his baptism, so we, when we're baptized, identify with Christ. Now, I want to make a couple important statements here so that I'm not confusing anyone. Baptism does not save you i don't know what you've been taught but nowhere in scripture can you find that baptism saves you it is by grace through faith that not of yourself is a gift of god not of works if baptism would save you that's something i do i can't do it i bring nothing to the table baptism does not save you that's why we don't hold to infant baptism You haven't made a commitment to Christ when you're an infant. In Scripture, look at Scripture. It's always they believed and were baptized. They believed and were baptized. They believed and were baptized. So baptism does not save you. Secondly, baptism does not make you more of a Christian than you already are. You already have all the Holy Spirit. Right? It's right there in you. Um, You have all of God Baptism does not make you more of a Christian. Here's what it does. It's a public proclamation. Because of what Jesus did for me, I want to make a public proclamation for him. I want to identify with his death as I walk into the water. I want to identify with his burial as I go under the water. I want to identify with his glorious resurrection as I come out of the water. I am all in for Jesus Christ. I want to know him intimately. I want to follow Him passionately. I want to obey Him wholeheartedly. And if you've not been baptized, we encourage you to do that. November 22nd and 23rd, our next celebration service. You can look in our bulletin and get information. You can go to our website, biblechapel.org baptisms. It'll take you right there. We have some classes so you understand exactly what it's about. You get, to, you get to share your video, and this is so critical because we put it on video, and then you can share it with your friends. Your Aunt Mabel in California can see that you have made a commitment to Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of technology that we have today. But it's not about technology. It's about are you willing to do what God has called you to do. The Great Commission. Matthew chapter twenty-eight 18 through 20. Jesus said these words. Uh, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What? Baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the end. Man, I love what Jesus does here as an example. We say a lot around here, speed of the leader, speed of the team. Jesus never asks us to do Anything he was unwilling to do. He died for us. And one of the things he says on the cross for you, won't you follow me by publicly proclaiming that inward faith you've already possessed by this outward show of baptism? We believe there are two ordinances in the church. One is baptism, and the other is communion. Before the Great Commission and before the cross, Jesus was with his disciples. It was a time when the Jewish Passover was being celebrated. And Jesus shared that meal with His disciples just before the cross. The Passover was a time when Israel was delivered from their slavery in Egypt. And the Egyptians had many gods. And God sent Moses to tell the leader of the Egyptians, Pharaoh, let my people go. And He wouldn't do it. And so God brought ten plagues on the nation of Egypt, and every one of those plagues was a direct defeat of one of their gods. The last one was the most severe, the death of all the firstborn animals and, and children. The Israelites were instructed, it's coming, you've got to get ready. So take a lamb and sacrifice the lamb and take the blood of the lamb and and paint it on your doorposts because angel death is coming and when it comes it will see the blood and what pass over your house the passover Exodus chapter 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt. I'll strike down the firstborn of people and animals, and I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, you think it's a coincidence that the crucifixion happened right at the Passover. you think it's a coincidence that at that time, the nation of Israel, looking for their Messiah, was celebrating this time in Egypt when God had passed over the house of their ancestors because of the blood of a Lamb. And now Jesus... First introduced by John as what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So as we take communion, it's not some tradition that we do every third weekend of the month. Jesus said, I want you to remember me. I don't want you to forget what I've done. I I want you to be thankful for the sacrifice I made for you. I want it to be a personal time just between you and me as you personally hold the bread representing my body that hung on that cross for you. I want it to be a personal time with you as you hold the cup representing the blood I shed for you. And so we have an opportunity now to do that. If you're not a believer, we encourage you to let the bread and the cup pass. No one will know. No one will care. We have our own business to take care of. But we encourage you today to realize that Jesus came just for you. That he loves you. And he wants you to have a relationship with the living God so much that he came to die on the cross for your sin. He is your Lamb of God who takes away your sin. We encourage you to trust in him today. There'll be opportunity after the service to do that if you'd like. For those of us who have trusted in Christ, anyone here, you don't have to be a member of the Bible chapel, you can take the bread and the cup. Just use this as a personal time of worship. Man, our lives are so busy, aren't they? We hardly have time just to slow down. And sometimes when we slow down, we feed our minds with the wrong stuff. But here in the next few minutes, we have the opportunity to hold the bread. Harry's going to lead us through this. And we'll have passages on the screen. If you'd just like to read these passages from Scripture to fill your mind with what God has done for you. But use this time as a way to remember the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. has placed you into a relationship with the living God and thank him for that. Father thank you for this time, this ordinance of communion this simple bread and cup that reminds us of the great eternal work that you've done for us Lord make this time meaningful in our hearts don't let us be distracted but help our focus to be on you as we hold the bread and the cup and take it Later together, in Christ's name, amen.